I never knew Meme's father was a twin. How come I never knew that? Leon and Alice. Can't think of any other twins on her side. By my reckoning, Meme lost her dad when she was six, when she was in camp. That place, she always called it. I have those precious letters. I'm sending full images of both. That's right. Although killed at Verdun, it wasn't the famous battle. That was a year later, 1916. Can you believe that? 300,000 dead there. I can't imagine it, seeing a child go off to war. My little Callan, well, he's our brave little soldier, down there in our churchyard. You can see the church from the farmhouse window. The 54th is gone, disbanded. You should find out more about the regiment. Léon had signed up at Compiègne. That's got an amazing war story. It was where the Germans eventually surrendered, in a train carriage in 1918. Google it, their revenge. In the Second War, Hitler made France surrender in the exact same place. He sat in the biggest chair, apparently. I've checked and checked, called the library. The only camp that had registered Sonny's children is Sainte Marie aux Mines. But there's also the Noyon references to Holzminden. Either way, dreadful. It would be another 41 years before she saw her father's name on the war memorial at Gouvier. Unbelievably, there are several Brevier, Leclerc, on that same memorial. Here, a photo from online. The Leclerc, they're all the Blanche lot. All of them French Catholic, obviously. None of them moved very far, it seems. En Blanche. After the war, a war widow got 800 francs a year. At the time, a kilogram of bread was one franc. I can see how everything fits together. The Brevier, they're of course Grandpère Jules and Léon's family. So Alice, she's a Brevier. That led to some fireworks about who inherited. Meme didn't want to talk about that. So, you have all my France notes. I'm starting on Pepper now. Bill Brewer of Prestwich, Manchester. I can't believe just how little we know about him. Love you, Sabine. Bill's stomach rumbled as he waited outside Bachelors. The heavy smells of the early morning stables was on the air. No breakfast, because to get a job you had to pass the way in. He needed this. Since running, he'd had only odd jobs and things had been getting tight. It was never easy getting the job. Get lost, titch! He'd followed a bunch of stable lads, young jockeys, Getting to Chantilly had cost him the last of his money. It was worth it. There was nothing he wanted more than to win, win, win. Hey, Ma, Ma, George Formby, how can he be a jockey, Ma? A Lancashire lad like you, Billy. He's a tiddler, smaller than you. He was just a scrape at ten years old. That's my age, Ma. I could be a jockey. You could, pet. He'd never forgotten Ma, but she'd been gone for a while now. She'd always wanted him to have an ice cream van. After she was gone, after she was gone, 
There'd been no prospects for him, the Great War, terraced streets and factories of Manchester. You're here again. The voice pulled him from his reverie. Red-faced, stout, the man was in the saddle, good posture, on a beautiful mare. Shy enough at the best of times, a light-headed Bill was now tongue-tied and just grunted. She's a beauty, eh? Tulip air, said the man. Bill felt faint from hunger and nerves. How old are you, lad? Sixteen, Mr. Bachelor. Getting on then, aren't you? You remind me of... of... His voice trailed off. Bloody war. Hundred and twelve, boss, called a stable lad as Bill climbed up on the metal-framed weighing chair. But wobbling, his head slumped and he slid down onto the dirt and straw. Bugger, said the trainer, bachelor. Let's hope you can sit on a jumper better than that. With a room above the stables, Bill started work immediately. A palfrenier, junior lad. He had full board, money in his pocket. Some pals, too. It was 1927, and half of the boys in Chantilly were Irish or English. La Morlaix was at the very heart of it. The sweeping forest runs, the grandeur of the Chantilly Chateau, the imposing stables. The steeplechasing thoroughbreds were heavy and tall, the two-year-olds that had failed on the flat. Here in France, the sleek hurdlers almost smashed through the brush fences rather than jump them. They suited Bilbo because, hey, shorty, he was actually tall for a jockey. And riding came naturally to Bill. He just loved flying along on these powerful beasts. One bright morning, Mr. B handed Bill the sought-after bridle, the beautiful mare. Take her round, son. Up and across to Gouvier, back down through Les Aigles. It was dreamlike. At a gallop, the wind whistled in his chin strap. Bill had a feeling of floating in the saddle. If he kept his head and his hands in good shape, he could make it. Champion jockey, why not? The long, sandy track, the Piste de Lyon, it ran arrow straight for two and a half miles right to the Chateau de Chantilly. He was again taken aback by the skyline, like looking at the home of a king of France. Breathing in the salty tang of Tulipaire, Bill cut west at the racecourse and ran her back along the wide forest path. Deer and squirrel darted away as he gave the horse its head. Approaching La Molay at a trot, he saw a young woman emerge from the forest carrying a wicker basket. Mushrooms. She was foraging, her dress tucked up to her waist. Bill slowed to a walk. Drawing himself up in the saddle, he straightened his hard hat and gently pulled in the reins. Her eyes met his, and for a moment time stood still. Bright blue-green eyes looking straight at him, a lively, expectant expression, an elfin face. Could this be it? The girl hurriedly pulled down her dress and looked worriedly over her shoulder, her eyebrows raised now. She nervously bit on her lower lip and looked back at Bill. As Bill blushed, 
Out of the woods appeared a ferocious-looking woman, clumping along on a black contraption, a kind of built-up boot. She scowled viciously and flicked her chin dismissively. Keep moving, bowler hat! High in the saddle, Bill just stared at them both, tongue-tied. The woman shooed the girl forward, saying, An Anglais! An Englishman. As Bill gave Tulip Air a nudge with his heels, he heard the girl repeat the words, as if trying them out, remembering something. An Anglais! He glanced back. She'd lowered her head and was now looking at him through her eyelashes, like a model on a Paris magazine cover. He felt a little breathless. She's tiny, but strong, though. She could be a racehorse. He started to call out to the girl, but the older woman got in first. Get on with you, English. Keep your eyes in your head. It bit harder in French, he thought. Allez-vous-en, Rosbif. Sabine handed me the hair colour box so that I could recite the instructions. Memer, what do you want? Casual bounce? Page boy? Or billows of curls? Sabine giggled and bit her lip in concentration. Memer had been ready and waiting in her nylon housecoat, lightly patting her head. Her thin dry hair had been set in big yellow pinned rollers the whole wispy structure covered with a cheap headscarf. We had received the usual welcome. Viens ici pour que je t'embrasse. Come here so I can kiss you. As ever, Memé's kitchen was spotlessly clean, the weak English sunlight filtering through a simple net curtain. Painted cupboards, sparsely furnished, a few saucepans, nothing much. The main feature was a set of French china canisters diminishing sizes in lavender with floral sprays. Flour, sugar, tea, you know the ones. Meme liked that, everything in order. The kitchen was generally empty of food, though. Just a packet of butter would last for months. On the table was a blue plastic washing-up bowl and a jar of Vaseline. There was her battered cardboard packet of hair colouring, two long-handled combs and a folded towel. Over the back of the chair was an old rag, a prison cell. Sabine, you're going to give me a perm. My sister would have been 14 and didn't know an awful lot about powerful chemicals or hairdressing. The china canisters and, would you believe it, the blue plastic bowl are now up at Sabine's farmhouse 50 years later. Now it's she who is the grandmother, and the wispy threads of this narrative continue to unravel. As Memer put her head over the bowl, Sabine said, I really don't know what I'm doing, Memer. Ah, you're better than that terrible woman. She messes up the rollers and always she cheats me. Of course, there wasn't a shopkeeper in the district that had not cheated Memer. Even local fishmonger, Frank Silverthorne, who had been in business for 50 years. Meme would bring home her little packet of cod or haddock and check the weight on the kitchen scales. Mais non, il m'a eu encore une fois. He's had me again. 
She would pedal back to town to settle the score, the small chunk of fish rewrapped and slammed into the cane basket. She would attack the bicycle bell, bring, bring, gesticulate at pedestrians in her path. Attention! At the fish shop, she would swear to never use their shop again. There was a pattern as she rotated through the Bogner Regis shopkeepers and small businesses. We listened as Meme talked about the cheats and thieves that permeated our town. Okay, Meme, you have to remove glasses, earrings, necklaces, I read from the disintegrating packet. I'm not stupid. Consider the hair's porosity. If the hair is dull, apply more product. My hair is not dry, said Meme dismissively. Sabine toyed with a few wispy strands and giggled. Head in the plastic bowl, Meme told us tales of the twenties, how there were no hairdressers in Chantilly between the wars, how she had, just once, gone to be photographed in her good dress, and how, when she went to meet her bill, she would use boot polish to draw a line on the back of each leg for stockings. Ah oui, j'étais coquette. What a little flirt I was. We'd love to hear her talk like this. With the pungent smell of chemicals, with the nostalgia and the laughter, there were now tears brimming Sabine's eyes. She looked helplessly at me for the next instruction. Apply a protective barrier around the client's ears before applying the solution. Memer interrupted. Use the Vaseline. <laughs> Always wear gloves while applying the processing solution. Up, oh, just put it on. Sabine was fully in stitches now, but trying not to laugh out loud. She put another of the flat linen towels around Memer's shoulders, and Memer talked. She told us how her bill, our pepper, had bought her the wedding ring, and later a new blue sapphire to replace the cheap engagement ring which had been bought at the shoddy jewellers. How she dressed herself up to match baby Helene's pram, and how proud Pepe was to push her, our mum, to take her out on a Sunday afternoon. How the bomb had dropped in the garden, where moments before she had called mum in from play. Salbosh, she said half-heartedly. I glanced at Sabine and read again from the tatty box. Keep the solution away from the client's eyes. Oh, don't worry about that, said Memer, her eyes tightly shut. Sabine put her two messy hands in the air and laughed out loud. And Memer began to laugh too. With her thin locks, lank and dripping, the hair colour was just running down her face. As Sabine tied up the headcloth, Memer said, When I'm gone, you won't have to do my hair any more. You've been going for my whole life, Memer, I said. C'est vrai, it's true. But I'll be gone soon. I'll be happy when I'm dead. It wasn't that she was stoic. It was rather that, as long as she was going, she had no reason to do anything, no pressure to own anything, to keep anything. We didn't ever try to understand it. It was just a fact of life, a soundtrack. The headcloth came off, to reveal a spectacular sight. Meme's hair was a static, frizzy mess. Sabine was crying and laughing all at the same time. 
patting her new perm appreciatively. Meme was thrilled. It had been dark when he'd ridden out this morning, but now the horses were back in, groomed and fed. Bill Brewer was spruced up. His bowler hat added five years. His French had improved, and he nervously considered the sweet shop door. Come on, man. He could see her inside, balancing a tray of sugared bonbons, prettier than ever. A child was dancing around, getting in the way. Sur le pont d'Avignon. Blowing out a deep breath, Bill looked again at the doorknob, inhaled the sweet, rich scent of burned sugar. After the scarcities of war, Confiserie de Jean offered riches, its shelves filled with treats, exquisite little boxes, all in ribbons and bows, a kaleidoscope of colour. The shop was on the railway square. Gouvier-Chantilly was where the throngs of spectators came in off the steam trains, pockets jingling. Albert de Jean's second concession was a lock-up on the station platform. He worked it himself on race days, and Josette would stand in, serving in the shop and looking after little Julie. Josette surveyed her work. Biscuits behind fruit, wafers above nuts. She pulled forward the expensive marron glacé to show them off. Today she dressed up in her race day dress. Pinching her cheeks every so often, she glanced outside. Little Julie teased her. Your boyfriend will be coming soon. <laughs> Don't be silly, said Josette. At that, the little girl leapt up suddenly with a shout. Pas de char, changement, she sung out. She was learning ballet. Last week, she'd caused Josette to drop a whole box of roudoudou. The brightly coloured balls had rolled into every corner of the shop. But, yes, Josette had been hoping he would come in again. They had something in common. The forest. He was small and strong, like her. They all are, in Chantilly, she thought. He had tried a few words of French and stumbled back out with a red face and a shy smile. She turned from the window and balanced a tray on her fingertips. The pyramid of sherbet bonbons shaky. The girl laughed and suddenly vaulted up a star jump. Soubresault! The sweets came rattling down and a cloud of fine sugar mushroomed up, giving Josette a powdery face. The girl giggled, tapped twice on the end of her nose. And Blairot, you look like a badger. Josette had a special trick, the one she did for her little brother, Remy. Widening her eyes and gradually sliding out her tongue, now long and pointy, she slowly licked right across the tip of her nose. Julie's eyes widened as she looked over Josette's shoulder at the shop door. And Josette froze her messy white face, the stuck-out tongue, the image of a circus clown. Behind a stunned expression, she couldn't think straight. It was him, the boy from her forest daydreams. That evening, Josette crept out of the house and went to join him, a rendezvous. My mother doesn't let me go anywhere, she had objected. You can get to the stables, Bill Brewer had said. 
You can climb up on the oracle. She had hung up her dress and held a kettle of steaming water underneath it. She'd drawn a line on the back of her leg. You couldn't tell that it was black boot polish. Using the long handle of her old comb. A bit crooked, but that'll do. She'd rubbed her cheeks, a touch of rouge. Voila, coquette. She knew the evening could change her life forever. Such grandeur. The stables were dim with a romantic softness. Inside was hushed. In the dim ambiance, she could smell the fresh wood shavings and saddle soap. A horse rustled in his stable as Bill talked quietly. She wished the night would last forever. The old dukes, they copied the British racing rules, formed the Jockey Club, Bill said. That's the oracle, there. She looked around. The weighing chair. If you're above 110, no ride. No ride, no winners. No winners, no money. He blushed as he talked, felt a little awkward. I've never bet a single franc, said Josette. The priest says it is sinful. Bill talked about the morning work. Of course I've had a couple of horses go down underneath me, but so far no harm done. She looked uncertain, so he tried again. Obviously the horses love working in the forest. <laughs> now she smiled. She knows the woods better than anyone. She talks to him about her father, Léon, the forester. How to find the deer track from Gouvieux to Mont-l'Evêque, following the streams down to the Nonette. How the river runs high up beyond Solis. There are houses below the river. It's all to do with getting water to the chateau, she said. Bill was entranced. He tells her how he's a Lancashire lad, how he ran away from Manchester. His voice was soft in his recollections. Yep, of course a bloke can get lonely. I miss my sister too. She looked after me when things were difficult. Difficult, echoed Josette. Well, my pa was drunk and could be violent. He'd lapsed into English and she struggled to understand his accent. He realised how his sister would disapprove of his little French shop girl. When can I see you again? I'm not allowed. My mother, I'm never allowed. She looked straight at him. Maybe I'll run away too. On the weighing machine, she was as light as a feather. You're like a little sparrow, said Bill. A sparrow, she whispered. Well then, I can fly away with you.